in Genesis 1 in our new series on uh, Genesis 1 through 3. We'll look at verses 26 through 31 this morning. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you, uh, and there are, there are Bibles available on the table in the back if you need one. So um, as we go through the text this morning, we're going to see that uh, right there up front, we're, we're going to kind of skip over um, something that we haven't discussed yet, which is the uh, consider the cultural mandate is when God um, says that he's going to make us and give us dominion over all uh, the, the earth and, and that we're supposed to subdue the earth and and so forth. We're going to skip over that, and we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks when we come to a part in Genesis 2 that kind of matches up with that really well. So uh, this morning, we are going to talk about pretty much just food, um, and we're going to talk about uh, the fact that food is good, that we need food, and how to enjoy your food. Uh, and, and I'm being literal. <laughs> we're going to talk about how, the, how food is good, we need food, and how to enjoy your food. So um, there's a lot of things to say about food. We're not going to cover everything. Um, stick around for sermon discussion if you've got other questions about uh, other, other facets of how uh, we interact with our food. But um, that's what we're talking about this morning. So let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we love you because you first loved us and you gave your son... Jesus for us. You've revealed yourself to us uh, in your word and especially in Jesus Christ. And we pray that uh, through your word, you would fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, on uh, the truth that is found in him, the grace that is found in him in a way that uh, shapes our lives. Would you uh, reform us in Christ's image as we hear your word? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, uh, food. I mean, it's it's right there in the text, front and center. You probably skip over it whenever you read uh, through the beginning of Genesis there. uh, The fact that food is somewhat important. Uh, right there in the first chapter, but food is good. That's, that's true originally, uh, according to the original creation, when God um, made everything and he gave us food and he looked at it all and said, behold, it's very good. Originally, and uh, in, a, in a sense, also food is ongoingly good. Um, so that's what we're going to look at in our first point. Uh, first of all, when you, as, as we've said before in our series to this point, um, in Genesis chapter one, this is a the song of creation. This is a this is a um, an alternative account 
to the uh, pagan religions, the ancient cosmogenies, the ancient competing uh, worldviews that uh, try to set forth in religious terms uh, what the world is, what it means, what the significance of it is, who made it, who the gods are that made, made the world and, um, and what they were doing when they did. And one of the major uh, kind of competitive cosmogenies, worldviews, uh, that was around at the time was the, um, the Akkadians' Enuma Elish. It's one of these stories, a very kind of elaborate story about uh, the battles of the gods and how the earth was formed out of those battles and why and who, who won and who uh, got what they wanted. And <clears throat> one, of the, um, one of the gods' name is Marduk. And we'll probably talk about Marduk a couple times. Uh, Marduk is this god. He, he, uh, he led the battle to his, his side's victory. Uh, and one of the gods that he killed, he created the heavens and the earth out of that god. And another of the gods he killed, he, he took the blood and formed it into humanity. And it's supposed to tell the story, what these people believe, like why humanity exists and what humanity is and what it's for and what this world is about. And part of that story <clears throat> is Marduk saying, saying this, savage man I will create. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease to bring food offerings for the gods and goddesses. So, um, most of these old stories uh, have the gods uh, sitting in the heavens thinking, how do we get everything done on the, on the world, on, on the earth below, uh, without lifting a finger? Well, let's make a, a slave race. And so uh, if we're going to get food from this planet, it's going to be because the humans get the food for us. They do the work, they do the labor, they, all the unpleasant stuff, and we get to benefit. That's, that's the way that... Um, most of the ancient uh, religions viewed the creation of humanity. And <clears throat> in contrast, in stark contrast with that, uh, Peter Lightheart has a little book called Blessed are the Hungry, which is probably worth reading, uh, primarily about uh, the Lord's Supper. But he says this, God, in the scriptures, creates man and then offers him food. In fact, God's gift of food is the climax of the six days of creation. Day six does not end with man's creation as the image of God or with God's command that Adam rule the earth. It ends with a menu. Um, so it ends with a menu. It ends with, here he's given us these plants to eat, right? Uh, the fact that it's, it's uh, brought up at all is interesting, and it should make us uh, explore, you know, consider why God is talking about food here in Genesis chapter 1. And, and ultimately it's because... Um, when you look at this, what does he do? He gives us every plant. And, and in day six, he's given us everything. The whole world is a gift. Food is kind of a representative of that. Food is symbolic, in a sense, of the fact that the whole world, when God looks at it, he says, it's very good, <clears throat> and he's, he's given it to us as a gift. So we have <clears throat> the whole world as a very good gift, and it's, it's kind of uh, highlighted in this, this gift of food here at the end of the sixth day. Now, <clears throat> sorry, as a side note, Derek Kidner says, almost as a side note really, that the assigning of every green plant for food, uh, for food uh, to all creatures must not be pressed to mean that all were once herbivorous, right? That all once just strictly eated plant, uh, eat, uh, ate, <laughs> ate plants. Uh, any more than to mean that all plants were equally edible to all, right? So you can't eat every plant 
So you shouldn't get from the idea of this that, that we're made to be uh, vegetarians, basically. Uh, it is a generalization that, in, that directly or indirectly all life depends on vegetation, and the concern of the verse is to show that all are fed from God's hand. Right, so um, food, then, it represents the physical world we live in. It represents everything that God made that he's given to us as a gift. And so as it does represent the rest of creation given to us as a gift, we, uh, we consider something very important, that, that matter itself, the physical nature of what God has made, matter itself is good, it's very good. Right? Matter itself um, and when it says, behold, and God, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, the word of God is inviting us to imagine seeing all of creation from God's point of view. Right? And what, it, what is the, the statement that God makes about it? It's, that it's very good. The physical stuff that God has made is very good. Now, our experience is that a lot of uh, the stuff around us is not very good. Our experience of the world our experience of um, creation, the physical uh, matter in the world, is, uh, is that not everything is good uh, at all. Sometimes there's things that are very bad, but if things are not very good, it's because of what takes place just a few chapters from now in Genesis chapter 3, where basically um, we, we understand the idea that God is not the one to blame for things not being very good. We are. Right? We broke the world in our rebellion against God, and it's, and it's our fault if things are uh, not perfect anymore, if they're not very good anymore. But the goodness of the material world is evident from this uh, passage, and the goodness of the, the material world is contrary to a lot of other uh, ways of thinking, a lot of other philosophies, a lot of other religions. Uh, when they look at the physical creation, what God made, this stuff, stuff that's tangible, and audible and visible, um, they say that it's not good. Matter's not good. Basically, thinking is good. Ideas are good. Spiritual stuff like prayer, that's good. But the world itself, the, the matter, the, the stuff that things are made of, that's not good, right? That's what, that's what probably uh, most throughout history people have thought uh, due to things, Greek philosophy, uh, enlightenment ideas, and, and competing religions where basically uh, stuff isn't good, thinking is good. Thinking is good. Or your, your spirit, the immaterial aspects of, of God's creation. But uh, again, Peter Lightheart from that book says, when God spoke to Adam, he did not reveal the Pythagorean theorem or teach the intricacies of superstring theory. He offered food. So God spoke to Adam. The, their first encounter, the, the relationship began with this Here's, here's what you're going to eat. Right? Um, <clears throat> so, of all the things that could be recorded in Genesis 1, that's not what we would suspect. Right? If we were going to write a record of the beginning of, of creation, the beginning of God's dealing with humanity, it's probably not going to have much to do with food. It just, that just wouldn't be the first thing we'd think of. Right? We wouldn't imagine this kind of beginning to the scriptures, but Abraham Kuyper, maybe a lot of you are familiar with this quote, uh, he was the... Uh, he was a theologian. He was prime minister of the Netherlands in the early 1900s. Um, he said that there's not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. Right? Christ owns every part of our reality. 
He's sovereign over every part of our reality. There's no realm of human life whatsoever that is not spiritual, that's not received by God, uh, uh, received by us from God. Right? There's no realm of human existence that uh, is not to be enjoyed properly in right relationship with God. Everything is spiritual. Everything has, has that uh, point of connection between us and God. Right? <clears throat> so Christian spirituality is not uh, strictly immaterial, it's not ethereal, it's physical. Christian spirituality is a physical spirituality. It involves things like feasting, as well as fasting, which we're not going to talk about. It's one of those things we could talk about in the sermon discussion. But it involves feasting. In fact, Jesus constantly said that the kingdom of God is like a feast. It really is like a feast. A feast is representative of what the kingdom of God is like. Christian spirituality is physical. As Brian read in our uh, New Testament reading, says that everything, everything created by God is good. And he's talking about food, right? Paul's talking about food. Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving for it's made holy by the word of God in prayer, right? It's made holy in relationship to God. Even your food is made holy. It's a spiritual experience, uh, this physical act of eating food. This is one of the realms uh, in, over which Jesus Christ, the sovereign one, says mine. Right? And we're supposed to rightly relate to him through it. Now, you need to get this, right? Uh, we don't have a religion where you have to give up physical pleasures to be a Christian, to be a good Christian. You don't have to give up physical pleasures, right? I think there's a lot of people in the world who suspect that Christianity is just kind of a killjoy religion. If I become a Christian, I have to give up a lot of things that I enjoy in this world. Uh, I won't be able to, my, my joy level will go down, right? Physical pleasure level will go down. Uh, and that's not true. Um, you, you might think that Christians are killjoys, that they're uninterested in a material world, and that's probably true of a lot of Christians, but that's not Christianity, right? That's a distortion of Christianity. It's not true Christianity when, <clears throat> when Christians are uninterested in the material world. In fact, Christianity is the only way to be truly spiritual in a physical way, um, in our physicality. And we see this first and foremost in the fact that the Son of God became a human being, that the Son of God uh, was incarnated. He was enfleshed. He became also physical and material and finite. He became like us. He became part of the creation. Right? God himself was incarnate bodily. Uh, not only did he live, not only did he die, he was raised from the dead bodily. Right? To continue, in a sense, as part of this creation forever, this material creation, uh, God himself has united himself to a, a physical body forever. And he's done things like eating fish after his resurrection, to show you maybe again, a little side note, you know, vegetarianism is not necessarily the, um, the perfect expression of the, uh, our eating, right? Jesus himself, the perfect human being in a glorified body, in a real body, he ate fish after his resurrection. So this stuff matters because God himself has entered into it and he's taken it to himself forever, unchangeably, 
It confirms the ongoing goodness of things like food. And as food is symbolic of everything else, the, the ongoing goodness of creation. Why does God consider this a very good creation? I mean, it, that's one of the things that jumps out at you as you read this passage. He says at the end of each day, almost, almost every single day, he says, it is good, it was good, it was good. And behold, it was very good, all of it. Right? Um, why does God consider this a very good creation? It's because the whole world was created, in a sense, to be sacramental. Right? We've got the two sacraments. We've got the table and the baptism. We've got water and then stuff that we eat here together, these physical, tangible things that God has connected his word to, he's connected his revelation to, he's connected his presence and his promises to these physical, tangible things, right? Uh, and that's, that's the way the whole world is meant to be, that we are supposed to meet God. This, this whole world was meant to be a meeting place between God and us where stuff is, right? Creation and matter is the place for meeting God. It's the place for communion with God. Um, and that's not to say that everything in the world has quite the significance that the table has now, for example. Um, but it was intended, and it will again be a place where uh, this whole world will be filled with God's presence in a way that we meet God, we have communion with God in everything that he's made. Alexander Shmemon uh, is a, I think he's a Russian Orthodox, maybe Greek, has a book called For the Life of the World, which is about communion. And he says that the food that man eats the world of which he must partake in order to live is given to him by God, and it's given as communion with God. All that exists is God's gift to man, and it all exists to make God known to man, to make man's life communion with God. It's divine love made food, made life for man. So uh, not only is it good, we actually need it, food. And I am talking literally just about food. We, uh, food is good, and we need food. We're made to need food. Hunger is not a result of the fall. It's not a result of the brokenness of the world. To be hungry for food and drink is the way things are supposed to be. Right? Our bodies were made to need this kind of sustenance. We were created to be dependent Creatures are dependent on God for their existence in every way, and we were created to be sustained by him forever in all respects, right? including physical, including our food and drink. Even at that level, we were made to need. We were made to consume. Um, even in the future, again, looking at Jesus, you see, even in the future, even in the, the, the eternal glorious state. We are not some sort of perpetual motion machine that needs no further input, right? We need food. We, and, and we sense, um, we, we know this clearly. I mean, most of our lives, uh, even in, a, in an advanced society like ours where uh, our needs are kind of far removed from us, we still spend most of our day thinking about preparing, securing meals for ourselves, right? We, food is a big part of who we are and our lives, and we know we need it. And we sense that there's this, uh, there's something strange 
and terrible, and I don't know if you've ever been in the room with someone who's, who's dying, uh, there's something strange and terrible about being there with somebody who has already eaten their last meal. And to come face to face with the shock, the reality of the fact that this person is not going to eat again. We know that that hits us, it hits us right? Uh, the reality of that hits us like a ton of bricks. There's something wrong with that. There's something deeply wrong with that. We need food. And when we no longer have a relationship with food, when we are no, no longer are connected to it, uh, death comes shortly. Right? And we were made for that kind of need. That constant need is meant to point us ultimately to our need of God. That's how he uses our hunger in our lives. Uh, he, he said in, um, uh, through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8, after he had led the uh, Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses is uh, describing their time there, he says that God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Right? So this is not something you got for yourselves. This is something God provided for you. It didn't make any sense. He just provided it for you. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's ultimately God who's the one who sustains us, not our food. He uses our food. He uses our hunger to point to himself our need for him. And then he sent Jesus into the world to be the one who supremely and utterly and absolutely fulfills us in all of our need. And Jesus said of himself in John 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. There's some sense in which he's speaking metaphorically there, right? Um, we don't actually take the body, the flesh, and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's something that we do see symbolized in the, uh, the sacrament, in the bread and in the cup. But what he's saying is that spiritually we depend on him for our nourishment, for our life, more than we depend on things like bread for our physical life. Right? It's that same kind of need. Our, our need in the one realm, the physical hunger, points us to our absolute need in the other, the, the, the spiritual dependence that we have on God himself as he's revealed to be our sustainer. We were made to be physical beings in a physical world dependent on God for all things. And that, that relationship that we have with God, where we need him, he's our creator, he's our father, he's our sustainer, that relationship is the fundamental sustenance that we need. And it, and it provides all things, physical needs. God meets our physical needs by making this the kind of world that, where we have food on our table every night. God, God provides for our physical needs like Joe prayed uh, during the prayers of the people. He provides through the institutions, through the doctors, through the science, through the medicine. Right? He provides for our physical needs. He provides for our emotional needs and our social needs and our spiritual needs. Ultimately, we find all of these met for us in the bread 
of life, the one who's the true bread from heaven, who came down to be our life. We are nourished by God himself. And, um, and not just by his spoken word, as it said, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not just by his spoken word, which is what we have recorded in the scriptures, but, uh, but by his personal word, his incarnate word, as he's communicated himself to us through his son, as we glory in the humanity of Jesus Christ, as we feast upon the humanity of Jesus Christ for our life. We need food in more sense than one, and ultimately we need the food that comes from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ who who gives his life for us. We find our life, our eternal life, and our glory in his humanity, in everything that's true about him as a human being. And so, uh, thirdly, I want to talk about how to enjoy your food. Food is good. We need food. And these, this says more than, than merely physical things about uh, our needs, but it says spiritual things about our needs. How to enjoy our food. Right? Taking great pleasure in the gift of food, taking great pleasure in all material things that God has made, but I think maybe especially here limited to the gift of food, taking great pleasure in that is not a result of the fall. All these things that come in Genesis 1 and 2, they surprise us that um, hunger is not a result of the fall and, and taking great pleasure in food is not a result of the fall. It's not, you don't have to have, it's not a guilty pleasure, right? You don't have to feel bad about enjoying food. You might need to feel bad about enjoying, enjoying food in some ways or enjoying too much food, but food in and of itself is not a guilty pleasure and enjoying it is uh, how we were created. Our interaction with food our interaction with the material world that food represents here <clears throat> is not how it should be. Right? We do not have perfect interaction with our food by any means. There's poverty where a lot of us don't have enough food to interact with. Right? Uh, we need more food. We're supposed to have food, all of us, and we can't get it, a lot of us, because of poverty. Uh, allergies. A lot of people cannot eat very basic foods. That are, that these are the basic foods that sustain over half the world, and, and some people can't, can't even touch them. Food allergies. That's something that's wrong in the world. That's something wrong with our bodies. That's, something's broken there. We can't interact with food the way that we're supposed to be able to. Eating disorders. You know, turning to food when you're depressed, when you're sad. Turning to food. For comfort, basically making food an idol, right? A false god where you're going to find your comfort and consolation when things get hard. A lot of us do that, right? Because food is just right there, it's easily accessible, it tastes great all the time. Um, it makes me feel good, right? So, eating disorders, um, gluttony, right? Just eating too much because we can. We all eat like kings, right? Pretty much every meal. Um, and we probably don't need to. This is, this is kind of a, a wrong way for us to interact with our food is to, to eat so much of it that we feel stuffed at every meal, right? Uh, gluttony is a problem in our interaction with food. Addiction, chemical dependence, because we're not just talking about bread. Other things qualify as food, you know, drinks, uh, alcohol, things like that, that people physically become dependent upon these things and addicted to these things. 
but, but these are all distortions of the way that it's supposed to be. Right? This is not the way it's supposed to be when, when we have allergies or poverty, we can't get enough food or addictions, whatever those things are. Th these are distortions. Food is good. Even in this life, food is good and it can still be good for all of us and we can enjoy it to some degree. Not perfectly. Clearly. right? But in an anticipatory sense, we can enjoy food. In an incomplete sense, kind of a shadowy experience of full glory when we're restored to our perfect physicality and perfect interactions with the world around us uh, in God's presence forever, including our food. Our enjoyment of food now is kind of a shadowy experience of that full glory, but, but it's the glory of God that food is pointing us to, right? It's our need of God. It's the fullness that's found in God. It's the delight that's found in God and the comfort that's found in God. All of these things, we see little glimpses of it as we enjoy our food that God's given us to point to God himself. And C.S. Lewis has a pretty incredible quote uh, about this in The Weight of Glory that um, uh, it might be a little difficult. I'm going to read it slowly. <clears throat> um, he says that the faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when he made the world's are what we now call physical pleasures. And even thus filtered, even, even these, these energies, these delights, these glories being faint and far off, right, in, uh, and just a bare shadowy experience as we enjoy our food, as we enjoy the creation, it's just a bare hint at the glory and the pleasure that's found in God. Even though, even though it's filtered that way to us, these physical pleasures are too much for our present management. Too much for our present management. What would it be to taste at the fountainhead of that stream of which even these lower reaches prove so intoxicating? Yet that, I believe, is what lies before us. As St. Augustine said, the rapture of the saved soul will flow over into the glorified body. In the light of our present specialized and depraved appetites, we cannot imagine this torrent of pleasure. The body is made for the Lord. The body that, that, that we're given, the body that will be made new, is made for the glory of the Lord, which is so overwhelming to even consider it as we taste a little, little shadow, a little hint of it in physical pleasures in this world. Right? So um, we know that this is true, that... Uh, that that what's coming for us is a torrent of pleasure at the fountainhead of the stream of all pleasures um, uh, when we see God face to face. And we know that it's true. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Right? So everything God has made, even God himself, belongs to you as a very good gift, and it, it surpasses our comprehension. Right? We can't understand it, but it all points to the fact that we need to enjoy everything God has made. All things are yours, the world, life, death, the present, the future. Everything that's yours, everything that God has given to you as a gift, it needs to be enjoyed in proper relationship to God. Right? It needs to be, you need to enjoy it in proper relationship, the gift to the giver, 
not to enjoy the gift more than the giver or in place of the giver, right? But it's a relational joy, and it's a, it's a thankfulness that we can have as we enjoy the things that God has given us. There's an article that uh, Joe Edwards actually forwarded to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was in the Huffington Post article that studies addictions, right? We have certain addictions, and they're, they're very physically experienced addictions to these very physical things, you know, uh, chemical dependency. And um, the summary of this study is something that I think the scriptures have taught us for a long time, but it's saying that science is starting to reveal, as studies are starting to show that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. The opposite of addiction is very physical dependency on a very physical object. The opposite of that, the freedom from that, is relationships. Right? It's relationships. It's human connection. I would add, um, and this, this article didn't add this, but I think we can all say the scriptures would support this. It's not just human connection. It's, it's a divine connection. It's relationship with God, a relational connect, connection to God that is the, the only alternative to things like addictions, to, to the broken way in which we physically engage with the world around us. It's, uh, it's all set right as we have proper relationship to God and to each other, as, as our relationships are, are restored. The giftedness of the world, the giftedness of things like food, it's nature as a gift. It requires you to have a relationship with God where you see him as the giver of all good gifts. Right? If you're going to view these things as a gift and enjoy your proper relationship to them, you have to have a proper relationship to God or else the world ceases to be a gift. If you can't explain it in terms of it's something God gave you for enjoyment and thanksgiving, it ceases to be a gift and it either becomes supreme in itself, it becomes the idol, it becomes the thing that you get addicted to, the thing you devote your life to, or it becomes a bare reality, it's an illusion of goodness, it's impossible to actually enjoy it because you think it doesn't matter at all. Your relationship to God needs to be restored first and foremost, and it will, it will restore your relationship to the other things God has made, including just things like your food, right? the things you eat. And that restoration comes through Christ, where Christ lived for us. He lived on our behalf. He lived as a substitute for us, perfectly related to God, perfectly related to the whole world. He had the, the right and proper enjoyment of, uh, of God and of all things, and he lived for us and he died for us in order to forgive things like our ingratitude, to forgive our idolatry, to forgive our heart's connection to things that God has made in place of God. Jesus died to be able to forgive us, and uh, he, has, he has given us his thankfulness, his relationship to God, his relationship to creation, his relationship to things like food, he's given that to us as a gift. His thankfulness is our thankfulness, right? His pleasure in God is our pleasure in God as you, as you put your faith in Christ. So <clears throat> what are some applications of this? How to enjoy your food? You enjoy it in proper relationship to God, right? That's got to be true. What are some applications? It, just celebrate the mundane, Celebrate what appears to be, uh, to a lot of people, unspiritual things, right? food and drink. You can celebrate that. You can eat well when you can. You can eat with others when you can. 
and you can talk about it, and you can pray, and you can thank God for the things you get to eat and for the people you get to eat with, the real physical stuff, right, because matter matters. Um, just celebrate the mundane. You probably should get this cookbook that, uh, that Sam Bowden uh, introduced me to by Robert Capon, uh, Supper of the Lamb, Supper of the Lamb. It's, it's more uh, probably a theological text than a cookbook, but it's kind of a combination, and it kind of shows what I'm talking about. But the, uh, <clears throat> he says in it, the world may or may not need another cookbook, but it needs all the lovers, amateurs, it can get. It's a gorgeous old place full of clownish graces and beautiful drolleries, and it has enough textures, tastes, and smells to keep us intrigued for more time than we have. Man's real work is to look at the things of the world and to love them for what they are. That is, after all, what God does, and man was not made in God's image for nothing. To look at the things of the world, the things that God has made, and, and appreciate them for what they are and in right relationship with God. That means things like you're not allowed to be bored. Ever. Ever. Because boredom really is, uh, is when you look at the world and you don't see anything. There's a whole world around you. There's a lot of good things in your cupboard. Um, and, and it's only somebody who's utterly checked out of relationship with God, who has no idea what it means to glory and, and take joy in God through the material world that he's made, that will be able to look at the world around and say, I'm bored. You can't be bored. This world is full of, of textures and smells and tastes, things to be discovered that will take uh, longer than we have. So no boredom allowed. Uh, we all need help looking at the world as as Christians are supposed to look at the world, we need to talk about these things. I recommend you get the book by uh, Robert Capon, Supper of the Lamb. Very, uh, very interesting book. Um, another application, don't overeat. Right? Which probably happens every night at dinner time for me. Don't overeat. You don't need to. Right? You don't need to overeat. Uh, if, if food is an idol for you, if it's something that you... You absolutely have to have, and you've got to stuff yourself with it until you're sick of it. Um, food doesn't have to be that kind of thing for you anymore. Idols, idols don't have gravity in and of themselves. In and of itself, it's just food. It's just intrinsically something good there. It's not even in and of itself uh, an evil thing. It's not an idol. It doesn't have gravity. It's not reaching out to grab you. That gravity is inside your own heart. Your heart has the gravity that has to latch onto something and it doesn't have to latch on to food anymore or any other kind of physical pleasure or physical idol because your heart has found Jesus Christ to latch on to for the torrent of pleasure because he's the bread of life. He's the true vine, right? To find all your uh, fulfillment, all your pleasure, all your need, all your comfort in Jesus Christ means uh, you don't need to do things like overeat. You don't need to be addicted to food or drink. Um. Don't, don't condemn other people for their diets. If somebody's a vegetarian, that's fine. If somebody eats meat, that's fine. We don't need to condemn them for their diets. Uh, there's grace for us. We, uh, we've messed up our diets. We've messed up our relationship to food uh, in a whole lot of ways. We're still looking for that perfect way to relate to our food and figure out what we're supposed to eat to make us live forever. Um, we know it's not going to work for us. We know we've got to put our faith in Christ. We know there's grace only in him. 
And so, you know, don't look at other people uh, with indignation or, or condemnation about the things that they eat, right? Um, come to the table. This is one of the greatest applications of, uh, of this passage. Come to the table where God is restoring food to its proper place in the universe, where God is restoring food to its proper place in your life, spiritually. He's doing that at this table. He's taking tangible things, things that you actually eat and drink, and he's not just spiritualizing them in some nebulous, ethereal way. He's meeting you here through these elements at the table. Uh, it's not just nourishing your body. It's nourishing your body and your soul at this table. As the meal itself is a meeting place between you and the bread of life for your joyful communion. God meets you at this table. Your interactions, uh, again, with food in this life will not be perfect. And there's a lot of reasons why you know, maybe uh, people have physical... Uh, chemical dependencies on things like wine, which is why we provide the alternative, the juice, right? But that's not the last word about your body or your relationship to the things that were made and given to you as a good gift, food and drink, uh, your, your current state, your current physical propensity for addiction. That's not the final word. In the new heavens and the new earth, we're all going to drink well-aged wine, well-refined wine, it's going to be a reality for all of us, and, and none of us will encounter wine and, and alcohol as a thing that we could be addicted to or as an idol anymore. And this is where you see that is at least promised. And maybe because of physical dependency, you can't reach out and drink the wine. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't in any other place, and maybe this is a safe place for you to be able to do that. Right? Here with God, where he's your focus, here with God's people in this place, uh, you may be safe to have a foretaste of the full freedom and the full glory, the torrent of physical pleasures that, that are promised to us in his kingdom, in his coming kingdom, right? Applications, hospitality, right? Generosity, bringing food for children to eat at the local public school who don't have enough, Opening your house to, to visitors, and not just, like Jesus says, not just those who are close friends or family, but really all kinds of people. Bringing them in and sharing a meal with them in your house, right? It's a, it's a real thing to, to do, and, and your attitude about it shouldn't be, well, I guess I'm supposed to be showing hospitality to people. I guess I'll go through, you know, uh, all the, the service that's required to do that. I guess I'm supposed to do that, right? It's not that. It's what else would you do? And this is what the world is about. The world may not be about food or eating. The world may be about eating together. Right? Uh, all of life is about eating together. What else would you do that open up your home and have people do that with you? Share your food with them. And if you can't practice hospitality at home for whatever reason, do it here at church. You know, bring refreshments at does it sound a little too mundane? It's, it's a true application of the gospel to sign up for the refreshments list, to bring food for people to share, to show hospitality, to celebrate the mundane things, to celebrate things that God has made together. Bringing refreshments is actually a fully practical, spiritual application of the gospel. Right? Um, and don't just view mealtimes as times of communion, with God and with others, view all of life that way because that's, food is, in a sense, symbolic of the whole world being given to you as a gift, a place where you meet with God 
for communion. View all of life as a gift of communion, a gift of God's own presence and his love wherever you find yourself. Jesus said, um, I'm with you always. Always. Not just when you're praying in the closet. Not just here for an hour at church. I'm with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. So enjoy his presence uh, in everything that he's made, even in his food, in, in the food that he's made and given to you as a free gift. Let's, uh, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, uh, these things are sometimes difficult for us to understand, even though it's there in black and white text on the first page of the Bible, that uh, you've made us for a relationship with you, and that relationship is to be filled with earthly things, that those earthly things are not supposed to supplant you in our hearts, but that you meet with us here in this world and and through even things like food. Uh, These things are overwhelming to us. Um, We pray that you would help us to make some sense of them so that we could begin to enjoy the world that you've made and even the food that you've given us in right relationship to you as the giver of all good gifts as the one uh, with whom we have to do forever in eternity and glory, as the one to whom all the good gifts in the world point to. Uh, They point to our need for you, our joy that's to be found in you, the fulfillment and comfort and security that's found in you alone as the giver of all good gifts. We pray that you would teach us to see these things in the world. Teach us to see the world as you want us to see the world as a very good gift to us. And we pray that you'd help us to rightly relate to it and to yourself through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.